He's looking deep down the field again. He's got a man and a touchdown. Chris Conley. Mills throws. Jordan again. He's got it. And he breaks free down the sideline and out of bounds. Mills down the middle and it's caught. What a catch by Moore. Collins, touchdown. The first of his career. And Davis Mills and the Texans about to pull off the upset of LA. And welcome to episode 112 of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Hills. And there was an almighty upset at NRG Stadium as the Texans ran out shot winners 41 to 29 against Justin Herbert and what we thought was the playoff bound Chargers COVID through the game into disarray um, but it was a win that nobody really saw coming um, and having joined us this week a returning guest uh, editor for the Texans Wire Mr Mark Lane how you doing? Hey Ewan good to be on with you Well thanks for thanks for joining us um, so if you complete this uh, sentence then Mark that was the best Texans win since uh, you know I, it's hard to do that because chronologically speaking, you know, it's, uh, I would say, the best Texans win since Thanksgiving uh, against the Detroit Lions, just in terms of a team that has momentum. Uh, in, but I think you have to take it in the context of where the Texans are right now, which is they're a rebuilding franchise i mean frankly almost down to their expansion roots uh so i've got three of them i i think it's uh, a win comparable with beating the dallas cowboys in that first game of you know the franchise history i think that uh it's comparable to that week 16 game against the indianapolis colts in 2006 when they finally beat the colts under Gary Kubiak, uh, I heard Mark Vandermeer, I got to give him credit for this one, uh, that it's comparable to when they beat the Baltimore Ravens in week 16 of 2014. I think yeah. what people saw and why this is an encouraging victory is you saw a team that didn't quit. You saw a team that rallied to the occasion that didn't just pack it in, that didn't just say they've got so many COVID depletions and everything and who cares and it's the Chargers who need a win and they're headed to the playoffs anyway. They came out and they battled. And that's why I list those three particular games because those games left fans with a sense of optimism and accomplishment. and. That's where the Texans are right now after that victory. Yeah, I had the, the 2014 return of Case Keenum out the deer blind uh, against the Ravens. Um, that was that was uh, that was definitely one. Uh, Adrian Foster threw a touchdown pass to CG Fedora, I think it was. So yeah, that was a game. The yeah, 2015 yeah. the 2015 win at Indy uh, where Brandon Whedon came in uh, after TJ Yates has brought some momentum. Um, and they're all very different circumstances, right? And then obviously 2019 against the Patriots to finally beat them. Um, and obviously the playoff game as well, the recent ones where you kind of like, you know, took something out of it. But I suppose, Mark, in, in the face of all this kind of COVID disruption, um, that was probably one of the worst defences we've played all year. Um, not on paper, but certainly watching the All-22 back today, it looked like that. When you factor all that in, um, and of course it's the same for both teams, but when you factor all the COVID disruption in, how much of a barometer is it? Has this team necessarily improved or is it just a good coaching job? Or, or what, do you, what do you put down to such, such a fluke result like that on Sunday? I think it was, I, I don't think it was, you can take anything away because the Chargers were without Nick Bosa, for example. Um, they... I'm sorry, Joey Bosa, I get them mixed up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't think you can take anything away from that because Houston was also without Brandon Cooks, for example. They had some – Jonathan Grenard, he was out. They had their own 
key players missing from that roster, starters that were missing from that defense. And they, like I said, they could have packed it in after the Chargers went ahead 17 to 12. They could have just said, you know what, it's it's happening again. And, uh, you know, that's all she wrote. But they responded. They came out in the second half, and the offense was there. So that's why I think in terms of when you factor in the circumstances and that they, they didn't just pack it in. They didn't quit. They actually came out and competed. And this is a team that has been embarrassed over the course of the season. They've been shut out on the road 40 to nothing in Buffalo. The Colts have only let them score three points in two games. This is a team that has gone through so much. And they rose to the occasion, and they – they gave the Chargers all they had. And that's why I think that that it is a significant win. And you can't just take anything away from, from, from Houston just because Joey Bosa was out with COVID. Would he have made a difference? Of course. But the circumstances that Houston also had to work through, I think, have to be taken into account and also they've taken on bad run defenses before and they hardly managed to get in the yards so the opportunity was there and it's been there for houston uh at other points throughout the season and they took advantage of it so that's why i think people are feeling really good about this win yeah, because what well, particularly the defensive line watching it, there was Xavier Williams, uh, Deontay Harris, Rondale Carter, who they signed up for a two-year deal, uh, with James Madison, number 75 on your programme, uh, Michael Duoma, four, uh, was 98, started on the, on the field at defensive tackle, you know, so the, considering that whole uh, unit was completely washed with with COVID, it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was kind of strange. I didn't, I generally didn't know who half of them were. You had Strachan and at linebacker at times. You know, there was guys that have just not played any snaps for this team. Came out and looked serviceable at times. You know, Neville Hewitt probably played his, you know, his biggest game. He's got the dot on his helmet. Now they're, they're definitely looking at him, giving him an extended look for the end of the season. Um, and yeah, I think particularly on the defensive side of the ball, you've got to give them. A ton of credit. Um, I don't think Justin Herbert had his a day to remember <laughs> the, the pick six that sealed it. Um, and the hands of Tavir Thomas was, I think he threw it into the area with those three guys in the zone. So look, I think you, for a result to happen like that, when you, the odds are stacked against your paper, you got to have a lot of things go your way. I think the Texans did. Yeah. Um, and it was it was it's nice to see because I think you know there's a lot as you said there's a lot can go against you in a long old season and it feels like a long season but certainly that just kind of gave a bit of uh, much needed optimism um, and I think that it definitely kind of gave people you know some some positives to look at but I think what I always try and do Mark is you want to try and be candid as possible and you want to be realistic I think as well because you've got you know there's a lot of conditions and a lot of factors play play into that and but it definitely showed some some key points that we can take into next season. Guys like Tavir Thomas um, had a good game. I think, again, he's kind of emerged and, you know, one of the people that I would have thought at least. Um, again, I'll be honest, I Googled him when we signed him from, you know, when he was at Cleveland coming over as a free agent. But in terms of standout performers yesterday, was there any that caught your eye that you thought, um, you know, worth a mention and maybe change their, their opinion on him a little? I think Dominic Ellerby, I know he's a kicker, but... yeah. I think that he definitely, coming into this situation, deserves some credit. He, they sent him out there for a 51-yard field goal okay, when it's a tight game, and he nailed it. Of course, he missed the other one, yeah. but uh, they've had trouble with kickers with extra points, and he made all of his. Uh, so I think Ellerby really did a, a nice job auditioning for somewhere. Uh, so that's why I, I put him out there. Chris Smith, I know that he wasn't part of the COVID team necessarily, but he's mm. someone that's come on the last two games. Uh, and, and it's nice to see that 
when they have been dealing with their problems with availability on the defensive line that he's stepped up. And Damone, Damone Harris, I know he's a veteran. I think he's in his third year. Uh, he had the hands-of-the-face penalty that extended a, a Chargers drive, but he's someone that also showed up that I, I thought did a good job. And uh, Jalen Camp, uh, I think he did some good things in special teams, but really when you get any more – into kind of those COVID elevations. I think that, you know, these are guys that still now for them, it's about consistently showing it, yeah. not just being gamers. Yeah, I think that's right. Cause you can have guys that come and fly and you always find out when you get a free agent pickup, you know, they'll do a couple of things for a couple of weeks. Um, and then the, the toil and the, and the battering that your body takes and the consistency you need to have to can do in a week to week basis is a huge jump from just coming in from a couple of games. But yeah, the the guy that I do him before in the middle of ninety eight, he made two plays back to back with yeah. like he stopped the run and then he got the half sack there with uh, with Chris Smith, as you said. I think he's he's been interesting um and addition. He's a rookie too. So with 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 Dumafor Yeah from is, Rutgers, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he you know that's why when you take into account, like I said, Damone Harris, he's been in there. I mean, you know, he's been in the league. At some point, it's almost like watching guys that are veterans in preseason doing well versus guys that are rookies, undrafted free agents, and they have some success. So if, if they can stash him, and maybe give him a reserve future contract. Yeah. You know, and then Lovey Smith and Bobby King or whoever's going to be the defensive line coach can work with him throughout the offseason. Maybe he develops into something for you. Yeah, well, well, he was out there on the first snap, wasn't he? So I think it was interesting yeah. to see that. Um, uh, yeah, as you said, he's a guy, James Madison. They've brought him in. Um it looks like, you know, his potential. Oh, no, sorry, that's, that was Rondell Carter. He was Rutgers, sorry. Rondell Carter's been given a two-year deal, so they're obviously having a look at him, um, you know, small guarantees. But, you know, they, I think they're in a, they realise they're in a position where there's, there's players that they need to, um, you know, sign up now so they're not, you know, so they can actually do it in a timely manner by the time sort of free agency and whatnot rolls around. I thought somebody they just recently signed, although he got injured, and actually when he went off the field, Mark, I thought it made a huge difference to the offence. Having speed out the slot really makes the system go a bit. Um, and you saw that, you know, in previous years with Kiki and stuff like that in the slot. But I thought Philip Dorsett had a great game. Obviously he had a couple of catches, um, you know, long long balls from, from Mills and what have you. But I thought he made a huge difference. And the fact that he's not going to play the last two games is a shame because... Um, it would have been good to try and uh, see see what he's got um, and build up a bit more chemistry going into next year. But I thought he made a huge difference. Um, Brevin Jordan, Nico, obviously, you know, they're getting all the plots right now. Everybody's sold on them. And good starts to their career. Great to see Nico get his first touchdown. Long way to go on those. But actually watching the, watching the nitty-gritty up front um, and a big reason why Burkhead had the best days had and probably will ever have in his career. Um, yeah. was was uh, was Jimmy Morrissey getting to the second level and I thought so yeah. in, internally um, and it's strange because at the end of last season they started to run the ball better with all backups and injuries um, and he's an undersized guy he gave away a couple of penalties and holding one of them was incredibly harsh the one that got pulled back for for uh, for Freeman for his Freeman's touchdown because he he managed to barrel his way in there but yeah I thought Morrissey got up to the second level a couple of times and I think like guys like Duma for like guys like Morrissey let's just go to the youth guys and I, I I struggle to see why you wouldn't you know for particularly in the next season bring these guys back obviously to compete for a spot but I thought they were they were some of the highlights for me yeah and Morrissey's somebody that obviously they like because they signed him off of the Raiders practice squad yeah. So when you sign someone off the practice squad, that's, you know, about a three week commitment that you got to make to that particular player. And he was able to get in games and he's been able to get back into games with Justin Britt being injured. And, and like you said, I, I thought that he, again, it's kind of like the Davis Mills effect where you go out and you start you see what the NFL's like. You get beat up, and then you sit, and then you watch the starter, 
And then when you come back in, what are you going to do with that second chance? And I felt like that he flourished. And hopefully they do stay with him, as you said, in the final two games to give him those reps and just so they they know what they have. Because, uh, you know, I, I don't think Justin Britt is going to be the future at center for Houston. I, 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 I mean, it's, it's, I mean, he did a good job coming back from that ACL tear in the middle of October of 2019 and being out of football a whole year. And then he comes back. I mean, he's, he's fought through a, a lot, but I don't know that he's your future mm. at center. Therefore, why not give the reps to Morrissey? What's it going to, plus what if you develop chemistry between your rookie center and your rookie quarterback, yeah. and you can only get stronger at that point of attack. Well, yeah, and, and I've not seen Justin Britt get to the second level as many times as he did. And look, I know it was a terrible run defense we were playing, and that showed they had Eric Murray, the Ezra, Eric Murray, um, Kenneth Murray, number nine, the linebacker at defensive end. So they were shorthanded. Um, we pushed yeah. them around, um, and it was a preseason offensive line almost out there, um, or what they envisaged in preseason, certainly. Um, but actually, that was some of the best best work they did all year. So, you know, again, they'll have a much bigger test coming up this week and more tape, more reps, uh, you get a better evaluation. Um, but, yeah, there was certainly some great there. And, um, of course, Jonathan Owens getting the pick um, as well. That was a big swing in the game, um, recovering the fumble as well, I suppose. I don't know who got more airtime, him or Simone Biles, but um, right. it was a, <laughs> it was a good, right. good day for him. It's funny because it was almost the reverse of what happened when ABC 13 uh, in Houston, they ran an article about something. And this was back when J.J. Watt, his last year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, And they just said something like, J.J. Watt's wife does such and such. And he retweeted it and got mad and said, why can't she earn her, you know, recognition yeah. in her own right? She's blah, blah, blah. Um, it, which, hey, you know, it's true, but also I understand why they did that because for the search SEO and everything that they're going to, you know, that's going to trigger J.J. Watt. So that's why they went in that direction. But, yeah, Owens, every time he did something, they go to the stands and it's Simone Biles, who, by the way, is a huge Texans fan. She always – I think they're, they've only lost one game now when she's been in attendance. I'll have to go back and look that up. I think the same as well with the uh, the color rush jerseys always seem to kind of give a bit. Of, they've got a pretty sterling record uh, wearing that uniform against the Packers last year and the Bengals. But yeah. other than that, they're undefeated. When they bust out the, those deep steel jerseys, they're they're undefeated. Yeah, I think there's an argument there to make that the full time jersey. I think it's a far better uh, sleeker looking outfit than the uh, than the perhaps the originals. Maybe looking a little bit tired, but. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of that, in terms of Davis Mills, I think it's probably the big talking point. Obviously, there's you know people declaring their love and thinking everything's in that scene. Comments like build around and next hit on all these picks, and you know we're you know I think obviously you know let's give it two years before we you know you know make a judgment or a viable judgment certainly on it. Um, he has progressed in the last three weeks, bar the second half of of uh, the Seattle game. Um, as you look at Davis Mills right now, Mark, where where are you at? Because I think for me, I don't think materially a huge amount's changed. I think what's happened here is there's been a young guy who's got better in bad circumstances. And I think he's improved and he's been more consistent. And he's in, been, I think there's still a long way to go. Um, but I think there was a, a in a game where the run game got better, when the protection was better, partly because of your opposition, he looked better. So that gives you hope for the future, but I still think there's a long, long way to go in the Davis Mills evaluation. Where are you at, where are you at with it? Yeah, I'm going to have to write a piece here soon in the next, you know, 12 hours, just basically outlining that, just trying to bring people back to earth when it comes to the Davis Mills stuff. because. I mean, it's just, there should be optimism, and he's earned it. But by the same token, just because the quarterback play has been so bad 
this year, you know, don't just think that they've figured everything out. I think that they've figured everything out for 2022. I'm willing to give them that. I don't think that they've figured everything out. Okay, we got to talk about it because, you know, when Deshaun Watson was drafted in 2017 and they traded up to get him, and you see him with the jersey and up there at the, at, with Roger Goodell and everything, you knew that Houston had locked it up for the next three to four years at quarterback. I, you don't get that feeling with Davis Mills. You only get that feeling of, well, at least 2022 is taken care of. At least we don't have to talk ourselves into Kenny Pickett and Sam Howell and all of these guys. At least we can pass on that and use those picks to take best player available. That's what I feel like the situation is with Davis Mills. Uh, I think he can do some good things. I think he can grow. I think I think if you put him on that 2017 team after Watson blew out his ACL on November the 2nd, that they would have won more than one game. I think he could have done well with DeAndre Hopkins, for example. I think if you put weapons around Davis Mills, he'll shine. I don't think that on his own – he's going to be a catalyst for anything a la Russell Wilson. Yeah, and I think that's it. It goes back to the thing, trucks and trailers, right? It's, you know, people who can lead a team. And I think until you can see him win you a game, you know, bring you back into a game, these are all the kind of like X factor, you know, kind of stuff that you need to see to make a commitment or even think about making a commitment. I think, like you said, it, at the minute, can you, what can you really definitively say about him? Well, you, as you said, if you put him on that team, okay, so he's better than, um, he's better than Tom Savage. Yeah, um, fine. But I think, that, you know, which is not saying a huge amount because I, I just don't think Tom ever pieced it together at the pros. But I think for, for me, what, what the, what we, everybody needs to be really careful of is just seeing it in isolation, you know, seeing one week in isolation. Yeah, it was great, but it was against a terrible defense who sat back and played zone, didn't blitz, only rushed four men without four genuine pass rushers up front. They had plenty of time in the pocket and he could pick open against zone. It was great. You know, there was some man switch ups there and there. But on the whole, it was an exact was exactly the same the way that uh, New England played him in the first half, and he flourished in that environment. So, you know, I think what we know right now is he's good against zone coverage, and he can read it, and he picks it apart well because he'll have, he'll have seen a fair bit of that in the Pac-12. But I think what we what we can't necessarily say is that you know that the, there's there's a, a future there because you know there has been some decent tape in the last couple of weeks, but the out but the bad tape still outweighs all the good tape to this point and you can't you can't just dismiss that because you know it was against better opposition better players what have you and i think that that's one thing and i think the second thing mark that's really kind of not hurt me but i think there's there's this point of oh we'll compare them to the the rookie class and and that's yeah. an and that's an okay barometer but at the end of the day this is the national football league we don't play against that rookie class we play against the best of the best every week and that's the barometer once once you're drafted all that stuff is out the window it's gone it's been it's done if you're undrafted or you're a first rounder at that point it's a level playing field and it's the best of the best wins so for me that kind of comparing them against other rookies it doesn't mean shit really what what if you put, i mean what if your rookie class is off and it is. Yeah, that's the whole point. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying Trevor Lawrence is awful, even though he's going down the Darnold path. Um, and Mac Jones, I don't think, could ever screw up ever because of the situation he's in. Um, and then poor Zach Wilson and Justin Fields, you know, with the organizations they went to. But I, I – yeah, you're absolutely right. You can't just compare him to yeah. the rookie class. I want to compare him to Carson Wentz and Ryan Tannehill because those are the guys that he's going to have to outperform in order for Houston to go anywhere. But you know, I think there, I think he's the answer for the near term. But there's a lot of evaluate. There's a lot of growth left for Davis Mills. And I think, though, I'd like to know what you think. I think that he – that's one thing he does well 
is he does respond to adversity and when he when you know he gets put back to the bench or he gets to review something he does grow from it but just how many you know this is such a short window how many um trial and error opportunities is this guy going to get before yeah and I, I think you can you can put him you know and i think as i said I, I, until you see a guy drive you down the field grab the the game by the neck and and win you it you know off their own back then you can go okay right you know but there was some nice throws but you know the, those long throws down the sideline was stuff he did well at stanford and the the fear of interceptions just crippled the play calling to the point where yeah. he's been hemmed in so i i get there's not been a fair evaluation and i get you'll always have the backdrop of the last quarterback you drafted playing as a rookie played at an MVP level. Um, so you've always got this high bar that people will always compare it to. And there's probably never going to be one like that, as, as depressing as that is. Um, so, yeah, there, there's growth there. I, I, I keep going back to the point of Mark. I think a scheme change um, and a more West Coast play-action heavy zone-running scheme might actually suit him a lot better. And I think the, the, the comparison or the potential ceiling, you know, is a Matt Schaub kind of type of quarterback who flourished in that. You know, and I talked about this last week, I remember when Gary Kubiak got a tune out of Trevor Simeon the year after they won the Super Bowl in that scheme because it's a lot more QB friendly than this you know, this stuff we've watched for the last however many years now, having Tim Kelly stay over. So if it is Pep Hamilton, people seem to really be quick to praise him and I don't know how you know that from the outside unless you're in those rooms, but... Um, but if, if he gets a chance to take the play calling or somebody else who's got experience in calling plays in this league, then I think a fresh system in some ways will set Davis back, but then you'll really have a true... If, if you can get him a system, I think, that suits his skill set, that he has to learn from a fresh and a start, and then can be productive to similar levels than he has been in the last three weeks over a six to eight week period at a time. There'll be some bad games in there. Yeah, then you can start to say, okay, yeah, this guy might have some mileage in him, but right now, still feels pretty premature. Yes. Yeah, what yeah. Do you, where do you stand in the scheme thing? What Do you, do you think a, a, a fresh scheme would help him? It's going to... I feel like he would be aided by running the football. Yeah. And that with the way that um, Houston is set up, it's more of a passing offense, but the weapons just aren't there. So it, it, he's, he's going to need to have a run game in order for this to work. So – Again, it's just I think that it's too. I think people are getting caught up in in that one good game and the fact he didn't throw an interception, and he's only thrown two interceptions over the past five games. Uh, I think that people are kind of getting caught up in the win streak, but yeah. uh, it, it, we'll see what he's really got against San Francisco. Well, that's that, it. Yeah. They're again like the Chargers. They're uh, fighting. They've got the number six seed in their conference, but they're still fighting for a playoff spot, and they can't afford to drop a game. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think there'll be a much you know intrigued front. Obviously, you'll see Charles Omenhu on the other side of the field. Um, ah, yeah, and, and depending on COVID, so I, my, I wouldn't put it past him to make a play. Um, before we get to the Niners. Mark, um, I don't expect Casario to be a prisoner of the moment. I think he's a much more kind of level-headed, logical kind of, you know, numerate kind of guy um, who's going to look at the the bigger piece. And I thought what was really interesting about him actually was he really stressed that actually you don't base your whole evaluation on a college player's final year. You look at his whole, you know, his whole body of work at college, and I expect you know that to, you know, to be very you know um, parallel to the pros. But in terms of you know, I think there was a lot of talk last week of one and done potential Cully being out. Obviously, the wins help, um, but in terms of Casario's decision on that, what where do you think he's at, and do these wins, you know, the last couple of weeks change anything? I think it's how they play. I don't even think it, it the wins matter. I think it's how they respond to adversity, how they play. Uh, it, if they go out and play 
<clears throat> two rain-soaked, sloppy games like what happened to Tennessee, and they end up with wins, I, I don't think that that means David Culley's going to keep his job. Mm. Uh, if they go out and they play and they have a shootout against uh, San Francisco and even like the Week 17 game last year against Tennessee where you're forcing them to kick a last-second field goal to win, you know, uh, the division title. If they're going out there and, and really competing with teams, I think that's what he's going to look at. I don't think that he's going to look at just necessarily the, the results per se. It's how this team carries itself. Because now they actually do have – a challenge ahead of them. They're coming off of a winning streak. That's something that hasn't been seen in Houston since weeks 12 to 13 of yeah, 2020. Yeah. How does this team respond to success? Are there, is there going to be a defensive player discipline now? Uh, you know what I mean? Sound a few Did, times, yeah. Somebody, yeah. Are the rookies going to continue to be diligent? And show up to me. I mean, are are they going to just get drunk a little bit with the success? Yeah. Or are they going to continue to respond? So there's still a lot of evaluation to be done. I don't think Cully has done anything to save his job. Yeah, because I think when you see people say, you know, how much credit do you get, or is he getting credit this week? And I think what you know about his role and how very limited he is in game plan and schematics, um, you know, I think he's got a he's got an input into personnel. And but you've got that Casario playing that really overbearing, you know, encompassing all parts of the the organization. Certainly from a football side of it, more than your traditional GM. So how much does it credit does he actually deserve? And I know he was quite sort of uh, emotional, almost slightly emotional in terms of the in front of the team when you saw that clip and the win that teams often put out. And I think it was great. And it look, and you go back to the point, it's hard to root against him because he's such a nice guy, but you still had a delay a game penalty when you're backed up in your end zone in the second quarter. You got out of that and ended up scoring a penalty. Operationally, it's still not good enough at times. You know, late substitutions, you see that constantly um, and things like that. So I think, you know, for... What is his sphere of influence? What is his direct control? It's not a lot. What he does do, I don't think he does all that well. Um, but I kind of, in the lead up to the game, and I thought this before the game, unless you've got a consensus, you know, home run higher, is there any point for next year to bring in a new head coach? No. Oh, next year is going to be another rebuilding year yeah. because now you finally get the Nick Casario draft classes not just the five-man specials, thanks to Bill O'Brien's yeah. brilliant general manager. Um, now you get to really see what a Nick Casario rebuild looks like. And, it, and again, your roster is going to turn over so much because of the guys that are on one-year deals and the guys that are going to be leaving, a la Justin Reed. So it, it's still going to be the same thing. And what – Casario said about Cully, one thing that he does well is he's consistent. He's consistently optimistic no matter the circumstances. And I think that's why he's here is to get everybody inspired and just have that player's coach because that has been missing for uh, since 2014, a player's coach. And, you know, you just need someone to make football fun again. And he does that, but the problem is that it's been a lot of losing. But he does make it less stressful around NRG Stadium, and I think that's why if, if they keep him, that's partly going to be the reason is because, you know, I mean, why would you go out and hire Eric Bieniemy right now, yeah. or want to go out and hire, um, you know, uh, or would you want to go out and hire uh, someone else, one of 
I, you know who I'm trying to think of the offensive coordinator, Byron Leftwich. Byron Leftwich. Yeah, I think I, I saw a, a list of candidates, and I thought, you know, it was Dan Quinn. I thought, yeah, but then again, but it comes back to every single one of these guys, right? Was was the the touted the agent, you know, spread list or distributed list? Um, would they want it? That's the question I would ask at, at this stage. At this stage of the rebuild, would they want it? You got like Dan Quinn, yeah, home run higher. Uh, Raheem Morris being a head coach with you know previously yeah absolutely you've got guys like Nathaniel Hackett who are you know who've been kind of teetering on the edge of a, a job there's talk he may he may follow Rogers um you got guys like Brian Callahan and stuff who you know who both those guys system would probably suit Mills so I mean it might be a case of yeah you want them but will they have better options elsewhere quite you know quite possibly um teams can interview guys even earlier now which I thought you know you, you should really not be able to hire teams until at least the end of the regular season, but they've brought it forward. Is there anybody you would like to see them go after if they're already, or you very much hunker down for another year of, uh, of Cully? Uh, the more I think about it, I'm more in the Cully camp just because of what a rebuild it's going to be next year. Next year just needs to be about talent accumulation and evaluation. Yeah. So that you can present this great roster and situation to your younger, more promising coaching candidate. And you can really, really court those guys as opposed to where they're at now. Yeah. Um, if I were to bring anybody in, I would bring in maybe someone – uh, you know, a retread situation, but a successful one, kind of like Dan Quinn, who you mentioned, or yeah. be the defensive coordinator for Tampa Bay. Uh, just someone who has had a little bit of success. Uh, although, you know, I I don't know that I'd want to bring in the Tampa Bay defensive coordinator because he only had one winning season with the Jets. But nevertheless. You'd, I, if you were to go out and get somebody, you'd, you'd just want someone to still continue to change the mindset around NRG Stadium. But I think that they need to just focus on talent evaluation and accumulation in 2022. Yeah. I think Vance Joseph's another guy. I know he didn't do so great with uh, Denver, but again, he stepped in in Arizona this year and led them to wins when... COVID's yes. going to hit their head coach. So again, he's another guy familiar with the building was here um, under Cubes. So yeah, it might be an, another option. In terms of you know acquiring that talent, you mentioned Mark. Free agency is probably going to be tricky. Probably is going to be you know a lot. You know, There's going to be a lot of turnover in this roster. And I think there'll be so much turnover when you're only sitting with 29 players plus future contracts potentially signed by the time you get to free agency. I expect them to have a few more. But you got to think the draft is going to be the longer term answer to that. Um, with that in mind, what would be your kind of what's your view on the draft, and how do you think Casario should approach it? As we, you know, seems like a long way to April, but uh, it's got to be a, probably a primary avenue to improve this football team. I think it's got to be best player available, uh, and that's something that stuck out to me about Nick Casario was when he took Brevin Jordan in the fifth round this year. Because I was thinking, why would you do that? I mean, you got Pharaoh Brown, you got Jordan Akins and Kali Waring, and why would you add another tight end? But he did it to foment competition. And as long as you're stacking talent and competition with these picks, I think that that's what Houston needs to do. Now, there are areas I would like them to go if they can get it done. Um, yeah, people talk about pass rusher, and you know it's true. But how about a young running back? For yeah, once? yeah. <laughs> I mean, they got scared off by Ben Tate, so that's it. You just can't have a a young running back. It's it's got to be what um, you know, a Lamar Miller and and Carlos Hyde ever since, and David Johnson since. Go get a young running back. That's they're made for that. The backs, that's their best years are on their rookie contracts. So I, I would like to see that. Also, um, it wouldn't hurt to go get another receiver 
another weapon for Davis Mills. Uh, if they can add a linebacker, and I know they've got one in Garrett Wallow, but maybe another linebacker that would be helpful. And it, you know, with Reed, you're probably going to have to go get another safety. So that's where I'd like to see them go in the draft. They're probably going to take one of those pass rushers, either Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau, just because their um, prowess is undeniable. Mm. And it helps to have someone opposite of Jonathan Bernard. Um, But, uh, you know, we'll get to finally see what a Nick Casario draft looks like as opposed to last year. And even with last year, I thought that they did a good enough job because they were targeted with their pick. They didn't just take a bunch of guys. They targeted guys that they wanted. So that's what will be fascinating about him getting his second draft, but more picks is he may consolidate them to take guys they really want. Yeah. I expect him to draft back or sorry, trade back rather um, at some point. Um, if you can get that, would, three. that wouldn't be a bad strategy either to yeah. just trade out and get out of it. But the last two games are really going to determine all of that. Yeah, I think so. I think it'll probably cement us into the third spot. I think especially with the Jets winning it the weekend, I think it's uh, looks pretty set. You never know. Um, but uh, yeah, trading back. And I think, yeah, like you said, running back, we've just got to get better at running the football, whether that's the two guard spots, whether that's a new center. Uh, whether that's another tackle, where you know, whatever it is, you got to get better running the football, and I think you've just got to invest in the secondary as well because you just can't. There's no hiding places, I think. And look, I know the scheme does doesn't necessarily dictate you need like shutdown corners, but you need competent players that can play zone if you're going to stick with Lovey Smith. And then I think as well, you've got to just find guys who you know. I know we signed a million and one linebackers. It felt like that. You got to get guys that can cover the pass. Um, and can get you a bit of range and a bit of speed because I think the defense needs that. But it's you know it's a long way to go yet. But but um, I just if and if those two uh, pass rushers aren't there, then Kyle Hamilton for me I think it's just a guy you can't pass up because he's a bit of a freak of nature. And I think in in terms of that, I know it's a safety spot. I know it's not done that high um, traditionally in terms of pure draft positional value. But I think for me he's the only guy I've watched that's kind of made you sit up in your seat a little and go yeah. You know that guy's an every down player that can affect the affect the game, but we've still got a couple of games to play. Mark, it seems like it's dragged out this season. Um, the Forty ers you've got Trey Lance, another chance for a rookie on rookie comparison for some people. What do you think of that proposition out to the Bay Area? I suppose it's a team that's kind of ascending. Started off the season not so well, but as you said, they're they're in the playoff hunt here. Um, but Trey Lance has not looked good from the games I've watched. Yeah, he's, he's another project. He's someone that needs reps more than anything. Um, and he got his chance against the Arizona Cardinals in week five. And he just, you know, he looked like a rookie. I think that if they don't ask him to do too much, if they can – Get the run game going, which, hey, by the way, guess who had a worse run defense than the Chargers heading into week 16? Oh, it was the Texans who gave up 4.7 yards per carry, tied for second worst in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, No, I think it was third worst. Anyway, uh, so if San Francisco gets the run going, then Trey Lance is going to look like the greatest mm. quarterback of the class, you know. Um, so I think that if he's asked to be a quarterback, to throw and to do more, that the defense may come away with a couple of takeaways. And then that's going to help skew the evaluation even more for David Culley and Davis Mills. But if – they can just have Lance not to do too much to bus drive, and I think San Francisco yeah. get the win. But if they ask him to to throw, I, you know, I, I don't see it going well. 
Yeah, I, th- I think the the big takeaway I had is, and I know you've got Justin Herbert, you want to throw it, but the biggest takeaway, I just couldn't believe the Chargers didn't run more on offense. It just seemed that yeah. the yards were there. And uh, I think if they'd done that... Jackson was yeah. getting them too. Yeah, yeah. He and I know he had the fumble, but um, yeah. I think their biggest issue is they haven't stayed on the field long enough. And you've seen Kyle Shanahan put game plans in where you know they will set, you know, they will do everything to run the ball. They're create. He's one of the probably the most creative... Uh, designer, uh, play designer in terms of running the ball. So I think, look on the face of it, you know, it may be another shot, but it doesn't always, you know, like it doesn't necessarily always strike twice that quickly. So you've got to maybe expect uh, a heavy, heavy run package from San Francisco. Um, and uh, unless Texans get the, the best players back, and even then uh, from COVID, it's going to be a challenge. Um, but Mark, um, this will be the last, uh, the, the last uh, podcast of the year before we hit the new year. Um, before the, you know the game um, on Sunday, um, a bit of a strange year, I suppose, in two very contrasting fortunes from the other Texas pro team and the Cowboys. They're sitting kind of pretty right now. Um, how long and what do you think it's going to take Houston to get back to that sort of level, eleven, uh, twelve win type seasons? Um, yeah, you know, it's so, it just seems so unattainable. (laughs) You know what I mean? It just seems like, first of all, it seems like it was a dream that it ever happened. And then it seems like it'll never happen again. Uh, but really it just, it, it, they need to, uh, establish an identity. I think that's where it starts. Are they going to be a pass-rushing, takeaway-generating team like they were with J.J. Watt? Are they going to be a a, a running type of team that they were? And, and Watt really kind of crosses over with it, but I, I really think the Watt era kind of began in 2014 when he got that second Defensive Player of the Year. But – the run team like they were with Arian Foster. Um, there are different identities that you can foster, and they've got to settle on one. And I think that's where the talent evaluation and the talent acquisition is going to help direct that. Because if you just decide that you're going to be a passing team behind Davis Mills, and he doesn't pan out that way. Now you're committed to being a passing team, and you're not very good at it. So they just to find a way to become a to find their identity and build around that, and then I think that it'll all come from there. Um, in Dallas's case, their identity was running the football and with Jason Garrett and all of that. And then they've kind of, and then they've kind of stuck with it a little bit. And then they added these other elements of now they're a defense that can take away and all of that, but that's what they need to do right now. Yeah. I don't know what the identity is of the Houston Texans. I could tell you what the identity of the Houston Texans was even in, you know, 20, 15 you knew what it was it was jj Watt comes and just wrecks havoc on your quarterback and then the offense sees what happens that was the identity um i could tell you what the identity was in 2020 the identity is watson's gonna make plays and we'll see what happens in the fourth quarter um they just need to settle on what on what they do best who they are as a football team and the picks and the talent acquisition is going to settle that for them. And then I think that they can compete. I think that they just need, then it's going to be a matter of coaching by that point. But I think that they could make the playoffs in the 2023 season. I know what a production. I mean, they don't even know what's going to happen in the actual real world in the next two years but here I am predicting they'll make the playoffs but I think that I don't think you want to talk about teams that are just horrible 
I think Jacksonville is absolutely horrendous, and they may never make the playoffs in the next three years. They may never make the playoffs with Trevor Lawrence on their rookie contract. I think the Lions have a better prognosis than they do. Even when they were 0-10-1, I think they had a better prognosis than Jacksonville. But Houston really – in terms of the rebuilds, they're not that far away. Yeah, and I suppose it all the the the, uh, the omnipresent question hangs over what will happen with the the, the Sean picks, and if you can invest that and you hit on them, then yeah, things can turn. But uh, yeah, it kind of feels it's a strange old season. Um, at least Sunday um, kind of gave a little bit of uh, good feeling of what it actually like to watch good football, um, point scoring, and making. Make it a little bit worthwhile again. I think that's good. And I think hopefully those days can come back where it's like that every Sunday. Um, and I'll never take them for granted ever again. I think that's what I've learned this season, that's for sure. And yeah. uh, it'll certainly be one. But Mark, um, thanks very much for your time. Any any New Year plans? Any uh, traditions you got going? Or are you just uh, just seeing the Man. new year in? No, I, I work so much. I just, you know, I, I'll... You know, do something when it when the clock strikes midnight. But no, no plan, no fun, none of that. It's just honestly. So maybe it'll be a Friday night, won't it? Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I might have a little fun. Yeah. If, if it was the Saturday night before the game, assuredly no fun because I'd be getting ready for the game. But maybe just a little bit of fun. But yeah. no, for me, you and this time of year it's just it's nose to the grindstone and really working so hard trying to cover this sport that i really don't you know that this is what i'm focused on and uh, we'll have fun when the off season's here that's it yeah i think it's uh it feels like certainly the extra game and everything it kind of um it all kind of feels a bit out of kilter, the COVID impact as well. It's been a kind of strange season, um, not just from a Texans point of view, but yeah, we'll be coming back to you next week um, to talk about the San Francisco game. Um, have a happy new year when it comes to you, wherever you're watching. If anybody's watching the game in Boston, actually next week, give it on to this Sunday. Let me know, because that's where I'll be watching it from uh, for a new year. So looking forward to that. Um, toying with the idea of stepping into the 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 enemy layer up at Foxborough, but I don't think we'll I don't think we'll perhaps manage that. But thanks again for listening. Thanks again uh, to Mark for his time. If you not checked him and his old team um, stuff out at uh, at the Texans Wire, please do. Um, and thanks to him for his time. Thanks for you to listen. Um, have a happy new when it comes to you, and we'll catch you again next week. Mm-hmm.